0: not that many companies get to be 100 million ARR and still are growing and have, you know, remarkable futures in front of them. But people like David and John, they understand how to, you know, be aggressive, but also be patient and to make sure that we don't get over our skis in terms of spend and the funds available and things like that.
1: You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com.
2: Hey, B2B leaders, welcome back. This is Ledger again, and I am really excited to have a friend and a fellow alumnus of Bucknell University with us today, Bob Bickle, who we know as Bick, and he is not only an extraordinary runner. We come from a nice. shared was an extraordinary <laughs> runner, more extraordinary <laughs> than me ever. Uh, probably can still crush me. And uh, we come from a shared background of of technology and running. And this is a lot of fun because Bob is now the founder and CEO of Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up, and anybody in the endurance sports space probably knows. This company, and we'll we'll talk about technology. We'll talk about business. Uh, Bic has this amazing history of successful uh, things on his resume that you know I, I think all B two B founders are really going to benefit from. So, Bick, give a little intro. Uh, I'm I'm just being a fanboy here, but uh, you're one of my my favorite people out there. So
0: I I I went to Bucknell. I I went there in 1975, just after Ledge's dad graduated. So uh, Ledge's dad and I just missed each other, and uh, so I'm a big fan of the of the Ledgerwood family, and uh, big fan of the history that his father. His father was part of that group that kind of uh, Coach Goulden um, kind of had come through in his first wave that made Bucknell a, a real distance powerhouse back in the seventies and
2: eighties. Absolutely. Um, it was right, right
0: uh, before, right before Ledge got there and kind of crashed the
2: program. Right. Yeah. I would have to, they kept me around to keep the GPA up. That's what I like to say, but exactly. You know, so. <laughs> and now 50, 60 pounds later, you know, here I am interviewing tech CEOs. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Funny yeah. how things work out. So man, you know, huge, Story for you, you know. I know a little bit about it, but I, I'd love to talk about. I think a neat thing about what you've done is, through your love of technology and love of running, you actually have managed to do what many people don't get to do, and sort of unify uh, two passion areas and execute a, a startup around it. And I just think that's that's fun because everybody gets told, you know, work in your passion area, and I think that's that's difficult not everybody gets to do that so i'd love to hear the story
0: yeah so you know i i was electrical engineer at at bucknell and and then afterwards i was i was an engineer i helped uh, design some local area network uh stuff and and uh and then i was getting my mba and i realized that i wanted to kind of do product management and create products and and things like that went to work for digital equipment and had uh, a great 10 11 years there and then I I um I was actually running in the morning with a friend of mine who owned a small business, and he he made this transformational statement to to me. He said, "So what percentage difference do you make when you go into digital every day?" And I was a I was a big contributor to digital success. I calculated I was like 0.001 percent, <laughs> so that's that's the difference I made when I went in the morning. He goes, you know, in a small company, you go in and you actually make a difference. And so I, I actually started um, to look for uh, a small company to join, and I joined a small software consulting company, and I started up a, a software business inside of it, and um, and it was right around the time. We had this one one product in the in the motif Windows workstation era back in the early 90s, but I hopped on the internet bandwagon really early and um, it was one of the first people that figured out that, geez, the web would be a good place to have applications and tie databases to the web, which seems inherently obvious now, but in 93, it was a somewhat new idea. So we created uh, something that wound up being called the application server, and we hopped on the Java application server bandwagon, and I got to experience like the growth of taking venture capital, going through several rounds, having high growth. We actually uh, uh, took the company public in 99 Got to see the stock go from 15 to 130, back down to 15. Got acquired by Hewlett Packard, and uh, and ran the ran the HP the 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 wonderful HP middleware division. And then HP decided to buy a PC company, and I had the responsibility to to lay off 600 people, which was a, a life changing moment in my life. That was about 2002. But I had gotten all this experience of like going through the process. Of you know finding product market fit and figuring out who good investors were and hiring management management teams and things like that and so basically I divided my life in half at that point in time so half of it I hung up a shingle and I said I was a consultant to startup um, people and and basically what would happened is I I kind of fell into this uh, you know kind of lucky habit. Of uh, finding like one or two really smart people that were, were starting up a software company, and I would just help them with those basic things of finding product market fit, finding investors, and and uh, hiring a management team. And I got lucky several times uh, with that, uh, you know and so that was that half and that's how i've kind of made my money during my career i get a few shares and jboss goes and it sells or or hyperic goes and it sells or you know whatever but the other half of my life i started doing running oriented things because it is a passion of mine and you know you and i uh experience this like It you know running at Bucknell was a transformational, foundational type of an experience. You know you ran 100 miles a week, you ran twice a day. You were a team. Running sounds very individual, but it was the strength of the pack as the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And running together was was the key. And and so like I I really wanted to kind of share that with other people. And so when I wasn't traveling for business, I would help. Uh, coach the high school cross-country team, and I'd run with the boys and stuff, and and I opened up a running store in our little town here in Morristown, New Jersey, outside of Philadelphia, and built some trails, became involved in some races and, and stuff like that, and, and ledged that how it came together, and sorry for the long story, but at least, but at least this gives you the two pieces and how they come together. I'm, I'm a race director. I'm using this crappy online registration software. I'm like, I could do better than that. And I really didn't like their business practices because I'd been in the open source world and, and it just seemed very closed and proprietary and just kind of sleazy to me. And so I said, well, I could do that. And so I happened to run into this brilliant young man, Steven Sigwart, And uh, we started the company in 2010. And basically the idea was just build some good technology and and people came. It was, you know, like field of dreams type of thing where you know we built it and and we had no sales, we had no marketing, but people just would recommend it to other people. And then pretty soon, people you know started wanting to interact with us, and we were like, no, we, we don't really like people that much, so we had to hire <laughs> you know a sales person, a customer service person, more developers, and it, it was just that it, it was it was truly like. A lifestyle type of little business that that grew up um so
2: yeah so i'll I'll stop talking now (laughs) well i don't i don't believe the luck story as much as you know it it, you must have innately done some things as a as a leader as someone is just like a charisma or something to attract you know the right people so luck doesn't just fall in your lap that makes you uh you know wealthy and, and brings you great folks, you know, what, talk about the human stories there. I, I do have a couple of
0: kind of lessons I've learned. So one is that I, I have a knack, and an appreciation for unusually talented people. And I just I run into people that are, are, they'll be strange in different ways, right. But I, I also recognize a certain amount of talent. So whether it was Mark Fleury at, at JBoss or Javier Saltero at Hyperic or, or Stephen Sigwert in this case, Mark Nigro back in, in the Bluestone days, just some really – and and usually it's it's around their technical capabilities because I'm in the software business, right? And there's this unusual talent and just love of the technology and just sincerity of trying to solve a problem for you know people and kind of i have this management philosophies you know one of my guiding principles is this kind of circular thing that goes responsibility trust efficiency so like if I give you responsibility for something that's going to make you feel really empowered. And the truth is, I can't tell you to do your job better than you can figure out how to do it yourself. And then if we trust each other that we're each going to do our job, then that makes us very efficient, because we don't have to have a bunch of meetings, we don't have to, you know, communicate off and we can operate almost as like a clean API interface. So I know that you're going to do your gig, I'm going to do my gig, you know, in this interview, you're going to ask me stupid questions. I'm gonna st- st- tell you stupid answers you know like we both have our clean API interface and we can you know kind of reduce the overhead and 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 what results from that has been my experience is just enormous enormous things you know you, you unlock people's creativity and their drive and their motivation and and I'd say if there's one thing that's been key to to you know all the different pieces of success I've had is this combination
2: of talent and unlocking the talent any API needs good architecture and planning, you know, that you can't just deploy two sides of a thing and then not have a uh, proper documentation or what are your endpoints. And, you know, so I mean, you could extend the metaphor and that work must happen somewhere. And it, it would be relational or, or something. You just can't just, dis- You know, that's
0: that's really, you know, like it was that Bluestone experience of going through the whole life cycle and making a bunch of stupid mistakes and seeing where, you know, like we could have been much more successful than we were if we had done certain things. But you take those lessons forward. And then because I wasn't like because I I got to see multiple companies and I got to kind of see what worked and what didn't. And I've had some failures along with my successes. But, um, you know, you kind of learn from that. And because like I'm old and gray haired, and, you know, I ran, I ran uh, near, near your dad's time, closer to your dad's time than your time. I I just have these experiences that help me make the connections a little bit quicker. Um, so hopefully that
2: that results, you know, in some of the success. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That's more I don't know if you can ever make up for the raw experience of having screwed things up. You know, I, people who get a hit the first time out, sometimes I think maybe that's a disservice for later because you think that uh, you knew something. And uh, you know, I think that's dangerous. So. Yeah, I, 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 I'll tell you a quick uh, failure story here. So
0: I was, I was on the board of this company And uh, we had good venture capital behind us and and the technology was being proven out. We had, uh, uh, you know, several um, customers and then we signed this five million dollar deal with a big bank. And we thought that this signaled that we're off to the races. And what we did is we we hired a bunch of salespeople. We spent a bunch of money on marketing and we could not replicate that five million dollar sale. And we burned through all the venture capital. The VCs weren't weren't willing to, to you know, um, kind of keep funding the company and we had to sell to a big company. Basically, everybody kind of made their investment back. It was a break-even type of a deal, so it wasn't a total catastrophe but it was not the success that it could have been and kind of the two lessons i learned out of that is is one you know be conservative with your capital and don't like overextend make make sure you really do have that product market fit make sure you really do have true scalability before you just you know jump off of a cliff cuz i feel like
2: in that case we jumped off of a cliff and we couldn't go back you know i think that's absolutely right and i i know that in, in our business We just look all the time at, you know, scaling sales and scaling revenue functions and uh, time and time again, we'll walk into a company that is like, well, this seems pretty good. You know, they're, they're doing X million dollars of, of sales and there must be something here and almost invariably that initial cohort of money uh, of revenue providers is, is actually not a fit and uh, is not scalable, they have nothing in common. They're lucky sort of collections of, of money and checks coming in, uh, maybe friends, maybe warm referrals, but this is nothing that we can replicate here and you really are starting at that stage. It's a, it's a huge lesson and almost invariably, and I the reason I, like, I wanted to start our company was just to stop hiring VPs of sales and spending incredible amounts of money on Salesforce type humans before you know that's true, I think there was a huge gap there and so far the the market is validating my uh my hypothesis <laughs> on that particular point so.
0: yeah yeah I, I you know i th- i think people people try to run a little bit too my as a founder you're obviously convinced that what you're you know that your baby is beautiful right but like you have to be a little bit realistic about that and you have to um, I call it, you know, pushing on a string versus you know your customers and prospects pulling on a string, right? If you're just pushing on a string, that's not very effective. Um, you got to have you got to have some pull there as well, and and you got to you got to make sure that it's really there. and And an incremental approach, you know, depending on how much capital you have, is is the
2: is the way to go. Um, right. Is one of the core lessons I've learned. And that capital could be from outside investors could be yours. It could be, you know, you're running on day to day revenue provided gross margin. And whatever that is, you, you cannot extend past your cash balance, you know, in any way. And that leverage is insanely expensive. If you do it wrong, the the cost of that, that capital, it could be the life of of the company in, in many cases. And, um, let me. Let me pivot to the the interesting thing that, that you learned from the the pulling of the string, having set out to make software that was endurance race based and running based, the market told you that they wanted a thing you didn't imagine. And, and it's taken you in a far past the lifestyle business direction you intended for.
0: Yeah. You know, like run sign up was truly lifestyle and it was just purely incremental. And, you know, as we saw success, we put more effort into it and, and and kind of grew it from 2010 to 2019. Come 2019, what's kind of nice about the endurance market, or the, I should say how we make money and how we operate. So basically, somebody wants to put on a 5k or a half marathon, they go to run sign up, they go through a little wizard. At the end of that wizard, they have a, a race website, and they can have people sign up for the race. The way we make money is we charge a processing fee. We include the credit card fees in, inside of that, and the part above it is how we fund ourselves. So, in 2019, we had uh, 21,000 races across the U.S. use us to sign up over 6 million people. And so it's, and it's a very long-tail type of business. So, you know, like e- even the largest customers of ours are less than 1% of our revenue. And, you know, you've got, you know, Thousands and thousands of customers, so we had to build a very efficient system from uh, sales and marketing, as well as an operational and moving finances around. We processed over two hundred and seventy million dollars that year, and so that year we were profitable. We do we did profit sharing with our with our employees, um, and you know we were growing twenty five percent, and life was life was really quite good. And what was nice about the market people only spend about a billion dollars a year to sign up for races. So it's not that big of a market. So it doesn't attract big competitors and big money. And if it does, they really don't focus on it to do it very well. And then smaller competitors just didn't know how to build technology as well as we did. And so we kind of became the Cinderella there. And we could have gone on and just kind of continued. But the problem was that we were already at, say, 30% market share. Over time, you know, our growth would slow. And it'd be a less interesting place to work for our employees. And what was happening in 2019 is that we were starting to see requests from our customers to do new things. And and basically, a, a lot of our customers are nonprofits. And they started asking us, can we use you for our gala, our golf outing, our pancake breakfast?" Can we use you, instead of doing fundraising inside of a race, for year-round donations or for birthday fundraisers? And so what we decided to do is incubate um, what we call Give sign Up inside of our company. And so we started building out additional technology on the core platform. It's still one big SaaS, one huge database of over 2,000 tables and stuff like that. But to start building purpose-built, Ticket technology for nonprofits to build purpose-built donation fundraising for nonprofits. And so the idea was that we would kind of build the technology, prove out that we could cross-sell to our customers. And then um, because it's 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 like 50 times the size of the market of endurance, we would seek outside capital at some point in time. So we started that process in 2019. And, you know, just building the technology. And we are starting to get, you know, a few early adopter, you know, kind of design partner customers to help us, you know, build it out the right way. And then, of course,
2: we were hit by the pandemic. Yeah, uh, which... There's a little a little force accelerator on uh, on event management. In yeah, yeah,
0: and, and so um, I, I'll skip that. We can come back to the pandemic response. But basically, what we've done is is we've taken a small series A, and uh, what we're doing is we're utilizing that money as our cushion to make sure that we don't we don't flame out. Right. <laughs> so it it what we're doing is we're kind of putting in pieces, the, the place, the pieces that we need to scale. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of accelerating, you know, like our, our our infrastructure investment in sales and marketing, right? So we, we did not have a VP of sales. so We brought on a VP of sales. We didn't have a VP of development. We brought on a VP of development. I was kind of part-time serving those roles because it's a small company and we could take our time. So and and then we're you know we're building out a a killer you know Marketo Salesforce integrated with our system so that as customers you know go through that wizard it it's going through flowing through into Marketo and Salesforce and, and things like that and once we have those things built out then we'll um, start to accelerate and we'll go for a Series B and 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 really pour pour fuel
2: on the fire at that point in time. Yeah, donor management. Tremendous. I mean, you talk about like, huge databases of contacts that are very, very important people. And, you know, all over the news is, you know, every major foundation and all the things now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, quite a bit more substantial space. But it's so interesting that you were able to take the core software product and architecture, and then extend it, you know, I mean, so many people talk about that type of expansion of a, of a core piece of software, it speaks to really good architecture that you can do that because very often, in fact, it's not the case. And we like really to re-architect everything. And uh, the promise doesn't come back that way in, in many cases. So I guess kudos to you and the architecture team for figuring it out the right way and <laughs> make a scalable thing. It's also really interesting, you know, like to, to,
0: to look at that market and to try to, so it's like a new market. So you have to figure out like, where are we going to fit in that? And so what we're terming it at least right now is supporter engagement. So it turns out that there's a bunch of CRMs and donor management systems out there. There's a ton. And, and what's interesting about them is they all charge these big subscription fees and, and, and they all kind of stink at the, at the engagement part. So, you know, like engagement with the supporters. So like we're already kind of good at that because a supporter is somebody that runs a five K for, you know, leukemia or something like that. And so, you know, tickets are, you know, people that are going to come to the gala or the golf outing. So those are supporters, but all these donor management systems and CRMs are all focused at, you know, trying to get high level donors and, you know, uh, and and they're not like at the grassroots transactional level like us and so we have all this experience in like moving money and transactions and knowing how to make things interface really easily with lightweight supporter engagement and that's the value that we're going to bring to this market and it's surprising you know, like Salesforce is is a really important you know product and CRM for many nonprofits, but they really don't do the transactional side at all. And you know, the number one um, ticket platform for nonprofits is actually Eventbrite, but they actually don't. They're not purpose built for for fundraising, so you can't make donations as you're signing up for your ticket event, and you can't brand it you know yourself and and things like that. So. So there's all these really exciting innovations that we can bring to the nonprofit community to to kind of you know claim our piece of that overall big market. Um, so it's it's super exciting what we're
2: going to be able to do over the next five years. That's a very self serve SaaS type of methodology that would not in any way occur to anyone with experience in major donor. Management I, here, You're talking here, about like how do you turn? Here's some killer LTV CAC uh, data for you. So like our
0: average customer, uh, you know, and and this is endurance and then the emerging stuff here. It, it's only three hundred bucks in the first year. I, that, that's that's the that's the that's the net revenue that we get out of out of uh, an average customer. And, it, and we have to, so we have to keep our costs pretty low in terms of sales and marketing. So, um, but the killer for us is that our customer cohorts, our, our 10-year-old customer cohort that you know, produced $300 is now producing $3,000. And so our customers grow with us. Um, so they try us out because we're low you know, low risk to try out on one event, but then they put more events, more events, more transaction volume, more transaction volume on us over time. So we wind up having, uh, well, you, you could think of it almost as an infinite LTV
2: um, if your timeline is truly long. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And by the nature of having served someone at that early vulnerable state, and showing them that in fact you can run a profitable event and that we can help you facilitate that it means that now it's not such a lift to run your fall event and your spring event and maybe add in something else you know so you can grow your portfolio of events which in fact makes your organization more money because it doesn't suck anymore to do all the management and all the volunteer work exactly so so they're a lot more efficient our prices are actually a lot
0: lower than what they're using today because of the efficiency that's built into our model so we don't have to charge a lot for you know expensive sales and marketing costs and stuff we pour our money into the into the software and into development so a customer a, a customer of ours who's been around for a couple of years they know that what they have today is actually going to get better tomorrow so we get all sorts of benefits out of it and and you know we get enough money that you know we, we keep the lights on and and our employees can pay their mortgages and and things like that so i i i i call i call this like the three-legged stool of a of a company you have to keep the balance between owners employees and customers and if like, if you're screwing one of those by, you know, having too high a price with customers, well, you're, you're going to be unstable if you're, you know, if employees aren't working hard and really committed to those customers, well, you're going to be unstable because you're not going to have a good enough product for the customer. And if the customer doesn't respect you, then, you know, like that's,
2: that's not going to be good either. So you know, I've, I've tried to home roll these things for events and, you know, you have to, cobble together PayPal, Stripe, you know, Eventbrite, and, I mean, you name it, like just sort of tag together all this stuff and then export to a spreadsheet and it completely sucks. And, you know, it's a lot of money. And then you look at the transaction costs and you don't get to keep your ticket price. And I mean, it's really, um, it's really a difficult problem. And to have set out and solved it well, because like I say it's not a tremendous amount of money per Know, customer at, at the beginning I, I, I mean it's not even a it's not even a number that anybody would want to look at and make a business around so you know god bless you for figuring that out <laughs> yeah so it, 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 if you want to see a website you go to run signupcom slash
0: realtime it shows you all these dots that are happening it's like what's actually happening uh, across all these races across the country and you see all these dots every blue dot is somebody clicking on somebody's race or event website every yellow dot we're making basically a dollar uh, out of that. And so it's just this accumulation of these little transactions is how we make a living and it's 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 a, it, like once you get the flywheel going it's amazing business and and it makes you feel good because our customers are like really nice people that are just trying to good, do good things either a race that's trying to make people healthy or a nonprofit
2: that's trying to you know support their cause with with a funding source. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you've, that phenomenon of taking many, many, many transactions and making a tiny little bit of money from them. You talked about in uh, some of your stuff that you sent me that, you know, you've spun out actual pieces of technology from these projects and that are are essentially self-running little SaaS things that make tiny amounts of money on huge amounts of of transactions. I mean, it's just like the holy grail. Like everybody wants to do that in SaaS and you seem to be able to crack that code and and do it again and again, you know, share, share the secrets. Man. Yeah.
0: It's it's all about hiring great software developers and having a good kind of plan and architecture to the business and not not spending too much money, you know? Because if you start spending too much money, then you got to charge a lot of money or you got to, you know, you, you can't, you can't be equal partners with your financers, right? The, and then they don't necessarily know how to run a company. It's the founder that knows how to, how to, how to run a company. And the founder either figures that out or not. But if things get out of balance between those owners or employees or the customers, then you're, you're screwed.
2: Yeah. And so you must have to be very not just circumspect about the people you work with and the talent, but then if, if you're taking somebody's money, I mean, you're talking about a very unique fit because there are a lot of investors who will will tell you pour insane amounts of capital into grow, 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 you know, and in, in the wrong types of places. That would not fit with the type of thing. I- you're talking about i i've been extraordinarily lucky in my career so i've
0: gotten to work with like some really first-class investors like david scott at matrix and and john veronis who was at Lightspeed. he's now started his own venture firm called unusual you know dan williams at delta v uh, peter fenton at excel and uh, benchmark and the the lesson that i learned from all of them I kind of encapsulated in this phrase called aggressive patience, you know, like, and, and, and the good investors have a bit of patience associated with their aggressiveness. They'll force you to be aggressive and to think aggressively, but yet they, there, there's this patience to it as well. And, um, because they, the, the experienced ones, the good investors, they know that, that bad stuff happens, and they know it always takes a little bit more time than than you think it will. But if you get the right team together, you're going to fight through those challenging times, like the pandemic or whatever, and you're
2: gonna you're gonna you're gonna make something out of it. That's that's an awesome lesson, yeah. And and I think the lesson maybe for anybody that is thinking about taking on any type of capital would be really look at those partners and have that conversation. Uh, aggressive patience is a is a great way to put it once you take that money um, you do have you know a, a partner at best and a, and a boss at at worst, and it, you know you have to balance that that stakeholder into the mix in a, in a serious way now you've got meetings you've got reporting you got metrics things that uh, you really need to think about the alignment of, of values
0: yeah for. and you know to take an example so i'm on the board of this company called CloudBees, which is a devops leader uh, they're the company behind jenkins which is uh continuous integration to continuous deployment so you know it, software teams use it to to automate their build processes and, and deployment and it's the same age as as give sign up run sign up so it's 10 years old and it's like a hundred million dollar ARR company that has these first class investors behind it and you know like like with any company we've gone through pivots and ups and downs and stuff like that but not that many companies get to be 100 million ARR and still are growing and have you know remarkable futures in front of them. But people like David and John, they understand how to you know be aggressive but also be patient and to make sure that we don't get over our skis in terms of spend and the funds available and things like
2: that. I mean that's that's a lesson right there. You know, be a 100 million ARR with class A investors and talking about not wasting money. Yeah. I mean I think that's. That's, you know, almost the millionaire next door. You know, don't, don't overextend. Exactly. Just keep cash in the bank. You know, don't be, don't be aggressively stupid with (laughs) your money. Be aggressively patient. Yeah. So I love that. Well, we got to wrap. So Bic, give me your two minute futurist hat. You know, what's next? Where are you going? Uh, Your companies, your projects personally, you know, what's, uh, what's on your mind for the next two years? Yeah, I, I'm just you know i'm super
0: focused right now on give sign up <laughs> there is an opportunity for our little our, our our little company to build some technology that can help a bunch of nonprofits and what's amazing about the opportunity we have is that this little thing that we're building can have so much leverage that can you know unlock, you know, hopefully, you know, our, our ambition is to get to a billion dollars a year, helping our customers raise a billion dollars a year over the next four years. So we wanna basically quadruple in size over the next four or five years. And the opportunity is there and I, I we can see it, we can taste it, we can feel it, we know the things that we need to develop. We're just like, you know, we had the development team back here for the first time live uh, this past week. And there's just so much excitement in 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 doing that. And, you know, it's, it's just a wonderful time that we live in because, you know, the technology platforms that we have to build on, like AWS, are just incredible. And they just give you such power to unlock things. And being a company that figures out how to use technology to help the nonprofit community, like, it's just super motivating, you know, because... Like we can, we can use our knowledge of technology to just help a bunch of people do much better
2: things than what we do. You know. Yeah, that's awesome. Now you see the passion and excitement from it. That's that's the kind of thing everybody hopes to show up to work and and do. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Bick, thanks for hanging out. If, uh, if you inspired anyone or people want to talk to you, where do, they, where do they find you?
0: Just go to the, uh, my little website, bobbickle.com, or you can email me at bob.bickle at runsignup.com.
2: Yeah, and if you guys are out there running nonprofit events or anything like that, give sign up and run sign up, awesome platforms. Uh, come help achieve the, uh, the 4X mission and make yourself some sustainable nonprofit revenue. Thanks, Bob. Ledge, it was great seeing you again. (laughs) It is fun hanging out. Thank you so much for telling the story. All right. I'll see you.
1: Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.